This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. Well, we'll continue along in the valleys of the Bible. It was pretty interesting, I thought, last week when we had the, uh, the Ishkul Valley because of the missionary that we had here. You know, and it was pretty neat how the Lord worked that out. He used that in several references. In fact, he lives just off of the Ishkul Valley. And uh, so it was pretty neat the way God worked that out. And uh, we uh, enjoyed that. Of course, if you remember the Ishkul Valley, that's where is known for where Moses, of course, sent the spies in there to spy out the land. And he sent 12, but we know that only two came back with a good report. The other 10, actually what they did is they discouraged the people. And, you know, we, we have a lot of folks today that, well, if you don't watch out, they'll, they'll discourage you a little bit. And, uh, but I'm glad for people that encourage Encourages. We need more encouragers in our, our body of believers today because, you know, we go through so many things that uh, it's so good to have someone come along and encourage you and say, I'm praying for you. Things are going to get better. The Lord's on your side. I mean, there's just many promises in the Word of God and, and all of that. So, of course, they came back. You have the picture in your mind of the men carrying the huge... Uh, grapes with on two poles and uh, telling about everything that's going on in that in that land at the time uh, yes they had some challenges ahead of them uh, with the the giants in the land with the with all the different groups of people in the land with the fortified cities they had all of that to to think about and deal with but they had to remember God was on their side and, you know, with God, all things are possible. And he promised them that. I will help you take the land. If you'll follow me, you'll do what I commanded you to do. And so we, we saw that. And as a result, those two men, Joshua and Caleb, they were promised to go in. The others were not. And, and all the people up to a certain age because of the, what they believed in that evil report. And so they... They had to pay the price. They had to journey again. And, uh, you know, we will pay the price when we don't believe God's promises in His Word. If we decide, well, okay, God's Word says that, but, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. I'm not going to trust God to, for that to take place. And, and it probably won't. So our faith needs to remain strong in the Lord. So that was a, was a good valley to talk about. I hope everyone has a, a picture of the Valley of Gehenna. The Valley of Gehenna. Not a valley that brings a lot of good news. <laughs> Not a valley that you can rejoice over. But it is a valley that we learn an important lesson of what it represents. And I know you know, you know that. And we'll get, we'll get to some more of that later on in the lesson. But I put down here this terrible thing about this valley is the valley that the Israelites passed children through the fire. 
Can you imagine that? Sacrificing their children. And they did it to the Canaanite god of Molech. So we will, we will talk about that. We will talk about sacrifices. We'll talk about Molech. We're, we'll cover as much as we can in this particular valley today. The word Gehenna, and I want you to get the meaning of that word, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Gehenon. Gehenon. And I can see where we get that from that word. Gehenna, Gehenon. So it is a meaning there of the valley of the sons of Henon. <clears throat> so remember that as we see it in the King James Version, and we'll see the, the wording of that, that we're talking about the same place, the valley of Gehenna. And this valley is south of Jerusalem. It is where some of the ancient Israelites did terrible things. They pass children through the fire, or they sacrifice their children to this Canaanite God. I can't imagine that. I can't even imagine sacrificing your children uh, through the fire as a sacrifice. What led them to do such a thing? What? What? How did they come to that? Did Did God ask them to do that? But more importantly is this, I began to think about this as I studied the lesson, went over it again this morning. God brought to my remembrance, has God ever asked anyone in the Word of God to sacrifice the child? And I'm reminded of, and I'll get my brother back there to put Genesis 22, and you may want to turn to that. if He'll probably have it on the screen. But yes, there was a, a, a time when God asked someone to do something we would think would be so terrible. But with that, God always knew, we've got to remember the end of the story, that God knew that that wasn't going to take place. He wasn't going to let that happen. But this was a test, wasn't it? And it was a test of Abraham. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, notice this, it's thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering or a sacrifice upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. So yes, amazing enough, God required Abraham to do something that was unheard of to me. And I, I can only imagine what Abraham thought as he's listening to this request. But Abraham was a man that, that lived by faith. He, you watch his life through those through the Bible. So his faith really had to come in. Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and the clay for the wood for the burnt offering or sacrifice, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. What a, what a journey those three days were. 
I'm going to do what God's asked me to do. I, I don't understand it. I, I really don't know why he did that, but he, he has asked me to do this. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. You notice he didn't say, I'm going to go and offer my son for sacrifice and I'll be back. I'll be back with you after it's over with. So Abraham has already got that faith rolling in his mind and in his heart and thinking, God's going to do something here. I know He's going to provide. I know He's not going to let me do this to my son. I'm just going to trust Him. So he says, I in the lad. He didn't say we're going to offer a sacrifice. He said, we're going to worship. We're going to go do as far as God wants me to do. But I believe we're going to come again unto you. Notice the next verse. Abraham uh, took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son. Took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they both went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham and said, Father, he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, I see you got the fire in your hand. You got the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So, you know, when I see that verse, I, I get that, that Abraham didn't discuss this with him and said, Isaac, you know, this is going to be, you're going to die as a sacrifice here. God's asked me to take your life. Evidently, that conversation hadn't, hadn't taken place between him because of what he asked here. He said, see, you got the fire, you got the wood, but I'm looking around for the, for the sacrifice. Where's that at? And he said here, Abraham, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both of them, or went both of them together. And they came to the place where God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound his son and laid him upon the altar, on the altar upon the wood. Bound him up. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Boy, he was waiting on that voice. But what was the voice going to say? Go ahead, Abraham. Or was it going to say something different? It said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, and seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Wow. That was the sweetest sacrifice he could ever see as that animal over there. And that voice that he heard. But he passed the test, didn't he? He passed it with flying colors. He did everything he was supposed to do right on up to the very time when God stopped him. So, yes, when I think about what happened here in this valley... That wasn't of God. God didn't say, you, you Israelites now, y'all need to get your children down here and sacrifice them through the fire. God didn't say that. God didn't ask that. 
But we find out that in this particular case, he did. He certainly did ask Abraham and he tested him. You know what God tests us, I believe? He tests our faith. He wants to see whether we're willing to do what we should do for Him. Will you and I pass the test all the time or not? It may be a very hard thing that He asks us to do. But if we'll once again let not our faith waver, but trust in God, He will bring it to pass. So back to the valley here. Let's look at it. It's a deep, narrow glen south of Jerusalem. And these idolatrous Jews... What do I mean by that? That means Jews that had decided somewhere in their thinking and in their heart, I'm going to make an idol. I'm going to worship it. And they did. The Apostle Paul describes the origin of idolatry. Look at Romans 1.21. Because that, they knew God. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. So at some point, they came to a place in their life where they stopped giving glory to God. They stopped recognizing Him and saying, I worship You, God. I serve You, God. They glorified it. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. You see how that process began? They began to imagine that they could worship someone else. They could do something else. They could, they could uh, just think about something else other than the Almighty God. So professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to the corruptible man. And some examples of these are to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. So they came to that point in their life. I'm tired of worshiping God, Jehovah. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to come up with something else. And so they, they changed from glorifying God to want to put, put glory on something else. And they begin to come up with some things that they could design or make or look around and say, hey, let's worship this, let's worship that, let's worship these things instead of God. You know, people today do the same thing. We have people all over our world today that want to worship things in the world, things in the heavens, things in the earth, all around us. They want to make up gods. They want to give their time to other gods. Can you imagine how that makes God feel when they do things like that? But they certainly had come to that point. They worship, they pay divine honor to some created images that they wanted to come up with rather than one true God. I, I, I studied some forms of idolatry. These are like worship of natural things, such as sun, moon, planets, stars, rivers, trees, hills, mountains, stone, animals, even fire and lightning. And these things that they see on the earth they say, well, let's worship this. Let's give honor to this. And then there's a thing called fetishism, which is worship of small stone carvings of animals. False gods. How about, do you think we have devil worshipers? Yeah. Demon worshipers? Yeah. We have people who have taken even the things like the Satan 
and demons and decided I'm going to worship them. Of course, all kind of things people can come up with that feel like these things will protect us if we worship them. There's no protection from any of the man-made gods. Only the one and true living God. So that's what happens. Men begin to forsake God and they sank in their ignorance. They sank in their moral corruption. And God sees that. And He's disgusted with that. But you know, at some point, I think God says, you know what? If you want to worship that, if you want to make that your God, that I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to let you go right on down that road. You see, he could just wipe them off the face of the earth. You know, but there are times that he says, hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pursue this. I'm just going to let you do that. Let's look at Romans 1.28. It says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, I know I no longer want to study God. I no longer want to know His ways. I no longer want to read His Word. I no longer want to listen to the Holy Spirit. I no longer want to do any of these things that I should be doing. And God gave them over to a what? Reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That means He says, you know what? I'm letting you go right on down that path. And it's going to be a path of destruction. I'm going to give you over to that. That's what you're dwelling on. That's what your mind is on. That's what your life is all about. And you, you're, you're not pursuing me. You're not worshiping me. You're not glorifying me. So I'm just going to let you go down that path. No wonder we see a lot of our generation today headed down that wrong path. Because they have, they have decided that's what they want to do. We certainly want to turn their life around. We want to tell them about God. We want to do all we can to change that. But some people are just not going to listen to you. All we can do, we can't make them get saved. We can't make them do anything. All we can do is present the Gospel. They have to make that decision themselves. It's a personal decision. I can't get saved for them. I, I can't do any of that. But the thing is, they will come to that point and I hate to see that happen in people's life. Let's talk some more about that valley in 2 Chronicles 28.3. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the sons of Hinnon. You see that the word is the, the Hinnon here instead of sort of like we recognize the Gehinnon, but that's where it's coming from. Burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Jeremiah 7.31 And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the sons of Hinnon, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not. You see that? Nowhere did God command these people to do that. Neither came into my heart. God didn't tell any prophet to command them. God didn't tell any king to command them to do any of this. And God Himself didn't, didn't do that. He says, that will never cross my heart to do any of that. And I just can't imagine, can you? Sending your sons and daughters through the fire as a sacrifice? But yet they did that. And they did it in this terrible place. 
this valley of Gehenna or Hinnom. So uh, let's look at the scripture a little bit closer in Jeremiah 19 and see how they came to this, to this place and what they did here. Jeremiah 19 will begin in verse 2. And go forth unto the valley of the sons of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim these words that I should tell thee, and say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I bring evil upon this place, the which whosoever heareth his ears shall tingle. You know, that's sort of like when you hear of some terrible things sometimes, someone may say, boy, that just brought a chill up my spine. And that, that's kind of the reference of what this is talking about here. I, I'm, this place is just so terrible and what y'all have turned it into and what you have done here. When somebody mentions this place, it's going to bring chills up your spine to think that you would do such a thing as sacrifice these children here. Because they have forsaken me and have estranged this place and have burnt incense in it unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place, notice this, with the blood of innocence. Children are innocent. Innocent human beings. Especially until they come to their age of accountability. That is the age that they understand what sin is about. That Jesus died for them. Up, up until that age, and, and even after that, they're still innocent. Children believe things that we tell them. And they listen intently and they repeat things we say. And they, they're just so innocent. And yet here they took this terrible place here and have filled it with the blood of these innocent children. Verse 5, They have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the sons of Hinnon, but now we have a new name for it, the valley of slaughter. The valley of slaughter. So we're seeing several names is attached to this place. And we're seeing that God is here changing this name here now to the, the valley of slaughter. So he's getting it across to us exactly what has taken place there. You know, I, I studied that picture that we have. And of course, this is a, a pretty uh, recent today picture that we would maybe think of and we we look at it and it surely isn't anything we would say is beautiful about it and i believe that's because god wants to keep it that way and thinking about what has really happened in that place but we'll talk a little bit more uh, as time permits that this valley now represents according to jesus 
Because see, as this name of this valley is changing as it goes along here, it is getting to the place where we need to be in remembrance of something. So this valley afterwards becomes something, and I want you to once again get a picture of this valley here. It's actually a place not only where they burnt the children there, but the refuge from the city, the trash, everything that they gathered at. The dead bodies of animals. When animals would die, guess where they were headed to? Valley of Hinnom. Valley of Slaughter. Criminals. After they came to a point where they were put to death or died, where did they end up? Right here in this valley. All kinds of filth was cast and it was consumed by a fire that they just continued to keep burning. Continued to keep burning. So that fire is burning in that valley. It's smoldering in that valley. It's there going so that as things are dumped in there, they would just be consumed in this fire. So through the process of time, what does it become? To the people's minds, it becomes a place of everlasting destruction. And I think when you hear that word everlasting, it starts to spark something in your mind, doesn't it? Where is the place of everlasting punishment? Everlasting eternal fire burning. That, of course, is hell. And so we're starting to get a picture now that this represents even hell itself. Now, hell is certainly much, much greater, much worse than this. So, in the later years, Gehenna continued to be an unclean place. They brought the trash there for burning from the city of Jerusalem. And I believe Jesus is actually using this reference of Gehenna as an illustration of hell. Now, what about what were they sacrificing? Sacrificing gods to uh, sacrificing to the god of Moloch. How did how did the true and living God feel about Moloch? <laughs> well, he he forbade the Israelites to have anything to do with him. Let's look at Leviticus eighteen and verse number twenty one. Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Moloch. So he, he named him specifically. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, for I am the Lord. So that's how he said it straight with Moloch. Moloch didn't have anything. He couldn't do anything. They had made a big deal about him. Big deal enough, can you imagine, to sacrifice your children to him? They must have had in their mind he was something really great. But I don't read anywhere in the Bible that Moloch did anything wonderful for them. But yet they did that. So he even warned them about impending judgment that would come their way if the Jews didn't keep their attention, keep their direction, keep their honor, keep their worship to the true and living God. So that's why I believe that God even came down to this point of renaming the Valley of Hinnon, the Valley of Slaughter, and we saw that already in Jeremiah 19. Now, what about the Israelites? Did they pay attention to that? Did they listen to God? They didn't listen. They had an evil kings of Judah, such as Ahaz, and he used the Valley of Hinnon 
for their demonic practices. Y'all want to practice these things? Go down there to that valley. That's where it's going to be held. That's what you're going to do. And we saw that in 2 Chronicles 28.3. So, how does God deal with that? He punishes them. God always deals with sin. He always has. He's always done. Tried to get people to turn around from sin, not do sin, but there's a price to pay. And we see that in the Bible. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But, I love that little word right there. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's always an alternative He offers us. You can pay the wages of sin. You can live in sin. You can deal with sin. You can love sin. You can do all of that you want to with sin. It's going to be right there. But you're going to pay for it. And those wages are going to be death. Death spiritually. Death physically. However you want to put it, it's going to result in death. But the gift of God, that free gift, that we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas time where Jesus has come and He has sacrificed His life. But people don't want to receive that, do they, today like they should. But we find here that uh, He punished them. He punched God, brought Babylon against them. And that pagan nation carried out their judgment against Judah's idolatry and their rebellion. God always has someone who can take care of that and He can go do that. It wasn't until 70 years of exile that the Jews were allowed back into Israel to build, rebuild. So when they returned, the Valley of Slaughter was kind of repurposed, if you would say. It was a place of infecticide for ever-burning rubbish and heap. And that's what I imagine. I, I can't even imagine walking by that place, the smell of it. Can you imagine the smell of it, of things that are in that? Let's look at 2 Kings 23.10. It says, And he defiled Topheth, which is the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Mullah. So this child sacrifice and the other forms, remember we talked about how the king said you can go in there and do demonic worship in there too. All of that finally came to a point where it ceased from happening in Israel. So this place, I know I try to get you a picture of it today of what it's like. It's a place of corpses of, of criminals, dead animals, all manner of refuge being thrown there, and a place of burning sewage in that place. Burning flesh. And what, what happens when you got that kind of stuff? Maggots and worms crawling all through it. I mean, it, 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 the smell of it, and then the fire making that smoke go up. The smell of that place was just putrefying. And, and I can't even imagine wanting to be near that. It's so strong, so sickening. But we find here that Isaiah 30, 33, Tophet is ordained of old, Yea, for the king it is prepared, he hath made it deep and large. When I saw those two words, and we're talking about this place, and we can get a good idea of hell, 
What does it say? Hell hath enlarged. The Bible says hell has to enlarge itself. Isn't that a shame? To accommodate the people that are going there. So this place deep enlarged. The pile is there is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord like a stream of brimstone doth kindle it. So there, there are things there, there are wordings there that we think about that certainly apply uh, to, to hell itself. And, and so I want to um, remind you that Jesus spoke a lot about hell in the Bible. And there's a lot more about hell than it is about heaven. And I believe that's because He doesn't want people to go there. So, it's a place that definitely is full of filth and destruction and repulsive to the nose, to the eyes. And it makes me think today that I, as far as hell is, I don't want anyone to go there. I, I can't imagine, you know, there's a lot of disgusting people in the world. There's a lot of people that, that say a lot of things to you and me and disgust us and and. and and come to a point that we don't want to have anything to do with them, but then sometimes I take a step back and say, you know what? Even as mean and disgusting and, and how they've tried to tear me down and say things about me, I still don't want to see them go to hell. They still have a living soul. I know we can step back and say, well, you know what? You're going to get what's coming to you. And that may be true. God's going to deal with you and I'm so glad that He is. And I know there are, there, are, there are things that happen in the world today. I often watch these, I love to watch these investigations of criminals shows and how they go back and, and, and look at these people. And what do I, many times I hear in the courtroom or afterwards, they say, you know what? I'm glad that you're going to hell and that's what you deserve. And I understand how, where they're coming from. I understand that they've, they've had a family member that's been killed, murdered. Terrible things have happened. Maybe they haven't even found their body yet. I mean, these things, until we go through these things, we, we may not know how to, how to say, that. I, I know what you mean. But even if someone does something to one of our family members, our loved ones, you can imagine how we would feel about it. And yes, I want justice to be served in that situation. They had no right to take someone's life. But you know what? There are many jail time confessions made where they have asked the Lord to forgive them. And I pray they meant it. I know a lot of times it's just something they say maybe, but if they meant it, they ask God to forgive them of that sin. Sin is sin. It could be we can categorize it and say this is a terrible sin. This one ain't so bad, but still, Christ died for all sin. So if they if they ask that forgiveness and they mean it from their heart, God can forgive them. Now they're not going to walk in the gates of heaven and expect some wonderful rewards. They're certainly not going to get that. They're not going to get the kind of thing that you and I get where we serve God faithfully. But the thing is this, hell was not even made for you and me. 
is made, the Bible says, for the devil and his angels. So it wasn't made for us, but yet thousands are going there. Because just like we saw in some of these verses today, at some point in their mind, they decided, I'm not going to look to God. I'm going to look to something around me and I'm going to serve that and I'm going to do that. So, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent this morning. <laughs> but that, that's the truth of it. This place was just like hell. It's, it ended up being a place of eternal torment because of the uncleanness, the fires that never stop burning, the worms that never stop crawling. Where do I get that from? Let's look at Mark 9, 47 and 48. If thy, this is what Jesus had to say. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast in hell fire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Sounds like the valley of Gehenna, don't it? What does Christ mean there? He wants you to pluck out your eyes? No. But if the members that we have in our body are going to make us do things that we shouldn't do, we need to surrender those to the Lord. We need, we need to stop and say, wait a minute, this is causing me to go down the wrong direction. Whether it's what I'm hearing, I'm seeing, I'm listening, my, where my feet are taking me, what my hands are, are doing, whatever it is, I need to surrender these members to the Lord because the devil will turn around and use those things for us to head down the wrong direction, and that's for sure. So Christ certainly told us that this place represent where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So I believe because of Jesus' symbolic use here of Gehenna, and the word Gehenna is sometimes used as a synonym for hell. So we can see the, the close reference of it. Just, just like the example I gave you right at the first of the lesson. And I hope you caught that. And I'm sure you as Christians know this. But as Abraham got the word from the Lord, the Bible says he, he got his son, his only son. Where do, we remember, where do we remember that? For God sent His only son, Jesus, to the earth. His only begotten. That's what Isaac was to him. Now, God stopped him. He said, no. You're not going to sacrifice your son. Could God have stopped the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross? You know, at some point, God said, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus is down there. He's going to sacrifice His life for these people that don't know Him, that hate Him. But He didn't stop it. In fact, Jesus turned around and said, not my will, but thine be done. The old song He could have called. 10,000. He could have stopped it at any point. But God didn't do that. And I'm so thankful for His mercy. I'm so thankful that He didn't so that you and I can be saved individuals today. Thank goodness for that. So, the occupants of the lake of fire, Gehenna, hell, the sad part about it is total separation from God. And is that for just a little while? 
That's for eternity. So how important is it today that we tell people there is a real hell? People love to hear about heaven. I love to teach and preach on heaven. But you won't get a lot of people like to hear about hell. But we need to tell it today. So this valley will be remembered not for some wonderful things, that's for sure. It'll be remembered for some sad things that people let come into their life and decided to worship something else instead of God. So, hope you enjoyed the lesson on Gehenna today. These valleys have been good to study. It's a lot, a lot of work looking into them and studying, but I've enjoyed it, enjoyed teaching it to you as well. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.